podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is a view from the bridge official podcast of the Belfast Giants for KingdomoftheGiants.com. Today's actually Thursday, and it's the twelfth of August, twenty twenty-one. My name's Patrick Smith. A bit of a uh, unexpected podcast brought out from events that took place or an interview that was taken earlier this week. Mister McJimsey, how are you? Let's start. Well, Patrick, Patrick look, Davey's look, joining me. What's this ringing? Just... Scissors ringing you? Oh no! He's just, he's just <laughs> muted. Says. That's a good, good start. Good start. Right. Sorry, Simon. So uh, he, he's a bit busy. He's preparing for his Portugal trip. Congratulations to Jasmine. Fantastic. 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 Yeah. Yes, absolutely. He, he's GCSE results. Sort of for a little holiday. So we'll have to give him, give him that one off tonight. But yeah, absolutely. looking forward to this. We've got some really, really uh, top quality guests to come on who know much more about this subject than we do. So well, without, without further ado, let's, uh, let's bring them in. We've, uh, we've got Seth Bennett, BBC's very own. Colin Shields, absolute legend, number 19 for your Belfast Giants. Uh, we have, if I can get the actual system to work properly, uh, we have Chris Ellis of the BBC and uh, Ice Hockey UK. Evening. And and to give the opinion of a former GM, who else are we going to call? But formerly of this parish, Mr. Neil Russell. How are you? <laughs> Very well, gentlemen. Very well. So... Obviously, this is more out of the interview that Tony Smith gave to the Sheffield Star earlier this week, the crux of which was a discussion as to whether uh, the the import levels would be put forward by the Elite League. They haven't formally been put forward yet, but he has suggested that there would be, I think, 14 imports. But what has really caught the craw of many people are these comments that he gave to the Star regarding to the uh, the British players and how they fit within the system of Elite League Ice Hockey. Some of the quotes I'll bring to you. That you, uh, you bring me the crowds, he said, and I will bring you the Brits. But right now, they don't fill arenas, and I'd be the first to say I hope that it changes. I hope that standards improve. He said that it's the catch-22. They want more ice time in the Elite League, but we can't afford to give it. To the Brits, sorry, we can't afford to give the Brits ice time and then find the crowds diminish. That was what has happened, and it's proven fact over the years. Get the young Brits to play in the NIHL first. Now, I'm going to come to you first of all, Davey, um, because we had a, a bit of a discussion about this. About that. Um, and I'll, I'll come around to actually each of the members of the panel, but I'll start with you, Davey. What were your thoughts on what uh, Tony Smith had to say? Some of it's hard to argue, Paddy. Um... It depends what way you want to look at the game, I guess, whether hanging banners is more important to us and, and ultimately results and we just want to win at all costs or or whether we now, especially with the renaissance of the of the team of Team G B going up into the into the top group in the world, you know, we have thrived and, and a lot of media has came out, out of the back of that. This country has thrived in the last lot of years. They've came up through the divisions, getting that gold medal in Belfast a number of years ago was brilliant. I know you mightn't be a massive Team G B supporter yourself per se, but it has been good for ice hockey and in, in GB. So I, I it's a kind of it's a hard one because ultimately also as a fan of Belfast Giants, you want to finish top of the pile every season. And if you said to me 
well, this is the best formula for the Belfast Giants to win every season. I can see both sides of the argument. But, you know, for me, in my 20-plus years of supporting the Belfast Giants, I haven't had higher highs in watching the likes of Mark Morrison represent because he's representing the team that I can't. You know, he's he's literally me on the ice because I'm not good enough to be there. He's from the same housing estate. He's from the same, you know, same town as me. And then you have the likes of Shays and all who've come in and made Belfast their home and represent us as British players. And yes, you have an affinity with some of the guys that come across the pond and play for you, but there's something about something special about a young lad from Belfast playing for the Belfast Giants. And I guess Seth, Ellie will be able to say whether that translates the same for a young English kid playing for the Panthers or, or the Steelers or whatever. But it's, it's a, it is a real catch-22 situation. And I think Tony even had that in a statement there that, you know, that, you yeah. got to look at it from two different angles. I think uh, you, you made a very good point there, especially with regards to the system in Belfast. One I'm going to come back to later on in the discussion, but I think at this point we'll go to the former player in Colin Shields. And you know, when you read what Tony Smith had to say, how did it make you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's no secret that um, the owners of the teams want the, they feel like the standard of the league is the most important thing and they want the league to keep progressing the way it's progressed. But um at a certain point, the, the British players, like if you want to have a fourth line, we're getting into specifics, but a fourth line with British players, I know they're going shorter, but there's in five years from now, there's going to be no British players that are impact players in the elite league because it's not saying it's impossible, but it's hard. You can't play in the NIHL and then come into the British elite league and play for two or three years as a fourth liner and all of a sudden become a 30-goal scorer. If you look at all the top players in the elite league right now, the British players, which is very small. Like if you look at the last, not to pump my own tires, but like myself, David Clark, other players, Robert Farmer, players that are known in the elite league. These players earned their ice time and got their stripes in the elite league, getting valuable minutes when the import level was lower at 10 or 11 imports. But a British player playing fringe minutes as a fourth liner is not going to progress into a top player. So I just want to know where... Yes, there's going to be a few players on the outside players um, like Conway and players that are British passport holders that have played somewhere else and coming back. But I'm saying players that are coming through the system now are not going to get to that level. It's just it's not possible to do. You can't become a top line player from getting three, four minutes a game putting on the fourth line. So um, as far as that point goes, yes, I understand that they want to keep the level going. But at some point, there's going to be no players to fill those roles, there's not going to be an Robert, no Robert Dowd or Ben O'Connor. And I know they're going to say, yes, uh, Liam Kirk, blah, 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 et cetera. But a broken clock's right twice a day. So, I mean, there is going to be an outlier that comes through and something happens. But yeah. As far as consistency, I don't think down the road it's the right way to go. And I think you're going to run into a problem that four and five years, you're going to be back to 20 imports again. Seth, you know, you've got you've obviously got your hat with regards to BBC Sport, but you also have a secondary hat with regards to the Leeds Junior Knights and your chairmanship there. Um, Sheds makes a good point with regards to these players coming through. How do you feel about what Tony said with regards to the British players within the Elite League? Well, he's absolutely right. And that's the one thing that we've got to acknowledge is that when you look at the history of the Elite League and you look where the Elite League started from, which was from the Super the Super Super League, where so much money was spent and it was pretty much all import players. There was just one or two uh, Brits that were, were kind of holding up their end of the bargain. You then went to a situation where the standard dropped and or more British players 
that came in and they played, and it was just about three-line hockey, barely three-line hockey. Um, but you saw players that came through from that experience. But what the owners saw was the crowds absolutely crash and tumble during that period of time. Now, are the two things related? Are the two things related between having less experienced, less skilled, less good British players, and at that time also less good import players, if we've been brutally honest, at the start of the Elite League era, to what's there now, which is basically clubs spending you know, an awful lot of money on American League fourth liners. Now, what you've got to ask yourself is, you know, how related are these two things? And when you go into those ownership meetings, um, I don't know, they always understand what's there. I think the flip side of that is you've got fan bases who don't know necessarily what they're watching. Because in the same respect, they're asking for better and better quality. Everybody wants to see NHL games. Everybody wants to see AHL games on a player's resume when they come in. And they feel underwhelmed if the signing doesn't deliver in all of those key categories. And if, as an owner, you're going to sack a coach for not winning a title, well, as a coach, why the hell would you invest in Brits? You know, truthfully, like, you're... You look at what Paul Thompson did with Liam Kirk, yet he was out of a job within a couple of years, you know, 18 months. Why would you bother on the next, trying to bring through the next generation of players if, unless you own the team, you can't guarantee that you're still going to be in a job in 18 months' time? At which yeah. point, you don't have any time to bring anybody through. So it is, going back to what Tony said, it, it is probably a, a really awkward catch-22 as to what you do. And... Colin's right. You know, where are we going to be in five years' time with British players? I can talk to you about the under-12s and under-14s and under-16s. And I can tell you there's some really, really good players at the younger levels. But they ain't going to make the elite league staying in the UK as things stand. Yeah, I think that's a real conversation about the latter that maybe we'll come on to. And you make a good point about Paul Thompson. Obviously, when he was in there at Sheffield, there was the talk of the under-23s and, and how that was going to be integrated into the Elite League. It didn't really transpire that way. You talk about the owners' meetings and the meetings at, around the board. Let's talk to a man who's been part of those board meetings. And uh, Mr. Russell, you know, you had the... Uh, you had the um, the dubious honour of recruitment with regards to the Manchester Storm for those years. Your thoughts on what Tony had to say? Listen, I agree with all the points that all the guys have made, to be honest with you, not wishing to sit on the fence in any way. I think, you know, what, what Seth said there as well, I mean, evidence and fact dictates that, you know, whenever they, the Super League did fall away and the Elite League was formed, the, we saw it ourselves, guys. We have we have followed the Giants for, for, for 20 plus years. And we saw it, um, and it did fall away substantially. I think, you know, I, I think overall, and there's numerous factors and numerous layers that we can go into here on, on this debate. I've always, I suppose, I've got always the commercial head on, and it's all always about kind of bums on seats and driving more and more revenues. But I look at this overall issue. This is a supply issue. Now, where does the onus lie? I, you guys will know, um, I've gone on about this for years, about the overall infrastructure and people like Seth and Ellie can certainly talk to this significantly better in terms of the, the, the structure of UK hockey. But I look at the, the, the overall structure of it and I see it so fraction, uh, like it's fractured in, in many ways. How good are we at driving the grassroots and getting those young kids up? What are those layers? And I think the likes of Seth, Mark Thomas, Nick Crawley in Manchester, I know Seth, you've moved across with, with, with leagues now. 
But we started to see in Manchester, especially when Finner came on board and, and, and took it, that that drive and tenacity and, and, and kind of getting a proper structure in place for that youth, for the academy. And we're starting to see some really good players coming up through that system. But I look right back to the grassroots. How good are we at driving? Not participation numbers are absolutely crucial. How can we push them up the funnel, but keep them interested in the sport and show them a, a pathway? It's like any other career. If you can demonstrate a pathway for individuals, yeah. the whole way th- right through to the elite league, then then kids are going to aspire towards that. The fra- I personally, my personal viewpoint on it is that the elite league is not a developmental league. That is my honest viewpoint. I huge fans of watching people like Colin Shields, Ben O'Connor, Matthew Myers, Ashley Tate, Jonathan Weaver, and so on and so forth over the years. Top it top, for me, the best of the best in terms of Brits, and right up there with some of the very best imports that we have brought into the country as well. So I, I also have the viewpoint, and I saw it in Manchester as well. Some of the Brit players that we had in Manchester earned significantly more than some than quite a few of our imports of which two of the imports that we had in Manchester ended up at the higher end of the points across the entire league league. So I know we're getting down the line of, uh, of payment and, and all that type of stuff, which I'm sure we'll probably go on to talk about as well. But I just, I just think that the overall structure is, is fractured in many ways and doesn't show young kids a clear yeah. pathway all the way up into the league league. I think we're going to open the conversation more to the floor, but I just want to bring Chris in now in regards to what he has to say on it. Um, obviously, Chris, you, know, you with your, your your trips to GB and stuff, you see some of these guys who've come all the way through, and we do sit now at the top table where we're going into a third year. Yes, there wasn't any relegation at the end of last, but going into a third time at the World Championships. Your thoughts with regards to the British players coming through and, and what Tony said and how, and how we can change it? It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean... You know, Tony, Tony knows his business way more than I do. You know, I think Tony maybe sells himself down a bit because you look at Sheffield's crowds. I think they've grown personally because of Tony Smith and the way he took them from a low that they'd got to under previous owners. And he's built their model up. Uh, A lot of clubs in the last five or six years, I think, have, have built their model up. And the Elite League is stronger now because of better owners, better GMs and better run clubs. And I don't buy this British argument. I really don't. I, I really don't. I mean, there's so many facets to it, and I could go on for a long time. But I feel like we're one of the only leagues in the world that, that wants to downplay our British players. And, and you guys know me. I normally sit on the fence quite a lot. I get splinters in my bum. I sit on the fence too much. But, you know, I saw these comments, and, you know, and you may have seen I was a bit more active on social media than usual. And, you know, it, I just don't think they're right. I mean, you know, I hope Tony's comments were were clumsy rather than genuinely what he thinks, because I do think fans like to see British players. You, you look around some of the teams. You mentioned the guys that you like in Belfast, and you touched on on Seth in Sheffield in Nottingham. You know, David Clark. Everybody knew David Clark around the city. Robert Lackovich is is another one. You know, I can't believe. There's not a place in Nottingham for Robert Lackovich. You can't believe Matthew Myers at the moment can't get an elite league job. And there's not jobs for them because of the new rules. You know, not, I'm not too bothered about 14 imports. And I also understand the need to shorten your bench. But if, if you're shortening your bench size, to me, you've got to put your trust in the British talent. And people say, 
well, there isn't enough outside the top 30 players. Where are they going to come from? Well, we're never going to find them if they're not given that chance. And I think one of you touched on it earlier. You know, some of the key guys in this GB time, Sheds, you said that, the, the core players, they played in a 10 import league. And then they've got better as the imports, yes, have got better. Um, but that's down to, to better signings and, and more, like I say, more astute management. So, you know, I, I disagree with, with Tony fully. I, I think fans do want to see British players. Yes, they want to see the, the best talent on show. But I, I just think that, that the elite league, and it's not just the elite league's fault. You know, you, you look at, Neil, you touched on it. The whole system has to be looked at. And we constantly go to there. Obviously, the elite league's in the spotlight with, with Tony's comments. But yes. there's, so much, there's so much more to it at the moment. Um, the stats don't back you up, though, Chris, do they? The stats about what? The, the stats about crowds. They don't back you up. When, when the elite league had a bigger British base, the crowds were smaller. Well, that's because it went from a, a fully-fledged professional Super League spending. You can't compare the two. The Super League spent millions. The, the, the first year of the Elite League, it wasn't just the British players that came in. The imports weren't as good. OK, some were. But they had to almost start the whole process again. Is there a level? About the, about the level of Sorry, go on, go on Colin. Um, I think something that's missing. When you have a league which is not advertised on Sky Sports, BBC, I know Seth Rock, BBC, but these big networks. But all of a sudden, in the last five or six years, this emergence of social media, free advertising. You can't tell me that social media has not had an influence on free advertising and the emergence and the rise of crowds in the league. I don't own a team. I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm just saying from someone standing back, that has to have had an impact in a positive way and increase game night participation. And uh, if you go to a Steelers game or a Giants game, the amount of interaction now between fans and players and, and the game night experience is far better than it was when I first came over here 15 years ago. And that has to play a part in the increased crowds. Now, I'm not saying it's not the only thing. And the other point I've written down is Davey and Patty and, and probably um, and Coach will remember the Giants team in 2010 that won the playoffs how many imports were on that team? Ten imports. Yeah. Now, if you said to a fan who's been a fan for the last 20 years, was that a great team? Yes. And you said, how many imports were on that team? They would probably say, I, I don't know. But what an unbelievable weekend. And yes, I understand the hockey has changed and the league has changed. And is the standard higher? Maybe slightly. But uh, fans are educated, yes. But one or two imports isn't making a difference. And having one or two extra British players playing key minutes is, I understand what Seth's point too about having Tony uh, saying the coach's jobs and Paul Thompson, blah, blah, blah. But there has to be some wiggle room. I think somewhere in that 10 to 14 range, I think by adding a few more British players, I think getting them more ice time, I think is a good range. I'm not saying five imports is the answer, and I'm not an idiot. Like, I've played hockey, I've been involved for a long time. Five imports is not the answer, but somewhere where you're getting the players on some of the top three lines and getting a bit more experience. That's, I think, where the sweet spot sort of lies. Who are you kidding, Sheds? You know, five imports, we'll be back, 800 quid a week. You'll be scoring 40 <laughs> goals a year. You'll love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. The salaries, the salaries, my other point was written down, and I know uh, Coach said we'll get to that, and that is another key point, which I think is being missed out, but I'll let you guys 
kind of comment on it. We'll maybe get up there after. Paddy, can yeah. I just jump in on one thing? Um, Go on, then. Just one thing. Shed, you mustn't notice a big difference, surely, between the 2010, and I agree with you, what a great year, all the rest. <laughs> Fantastic. But you mustn't notice a big difference in the over. You said a bit of a difference. Surely, they're being honest, there must have been a big difference from the 2010 level of hockey in the Elite League to whenever you hung up the skates two, three seasons ago. But all hockey is different like that. Look at the top two lines on that team in 2010 and look at the top two lines a couple of years ago and you're telling me equivalency. Obviously, hockey's changed, the style's changed, but you're telling me that's a big difference. Myself, Jeff Suez, Pat Bateman, second line, um, uh, Brandon Benedict, yes, Craig Peacock, and um, Evan Chevry. You're telling me that top six is slightly, okay, slightly different. You're telling me Blair Riley, David Rutherford, and um, Darcy Murphy is much different from me, Suez, and Pat Bateman. Hey, we could argue this all night long. Yes, that's it. that was a three-line league. It's different. But I'm saying the difference is not as much as everyone's making out. And that's is the issue we're trying to make. Is, is there a level here of, sorry, Yusef, is there a level here that the names that have been thrown out and, and you know, we're talking about Colin Shields, we're talking about, you know, David Clark, we're talking about Matt Myers, you know, even you go back to like Danny Myers, you go to Craig Peacock. These guys have come through the system and some have had the opportunity to go to North America and develop their game and come back. Not ideal with regards to bringing the Brits through, but also there was a much stronger second tier that we probably have today. And they were, they were able to play in what was, you know, maybe the BNL. They played in, in the um, in the English Ice Hockey Premier League uh, and so a, a stronger second tier that allowed them to play at that level and then slot in and polish their game let's put it that way in the Elite League we don't have that now Well I think maybe it's coming back I think there is a stronger second tier there now than there was two seasons ago three seasons ago and hopefully that plays a part of it I've got to be brutally honest though like if you are a I've got a 12 year old son and he right now sat down and he watched the World Championship. And you know what he said to me, Dad? He says, Dad, look, the reality is right now I'm 12. Six years' time, me and Kirky could be playing at the same time. For GB. He isn't thinking about good, playing for the Sheffield Good ambition. <laughs> but, he, but he isn't. Like, his viewpoint is about can he go beyond that? And so if you're a talented kid, there are going to be so very few kids that come through, you know, my club in Leeds and end up going going on to go and play for Sheffield or a Manchester or a Nottingham or a Belfast. There's going to be so few of those kids. There'll be more of those kids that get to the age of 16 and think about, well, maybe, look, I'll go to North America now. Maybe I'll go to Sweden. Maybe I'll go to Germany. Maybe I'll go and try and find another hockey experience there that lets me see. And I think we're just a little bit naive as a sport, you know, why was Sheds one of the greatest players in British hockey history? Why is he? The reality is, he disappeared off at the age of what? Correct. 13 or 14, Sheds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You went and played over there. You then went and got your college. You got your college, you get drafted to Philly. Yeah. If you would have stuck in Scotland, you would have got absolutely naffle. You would never Correct. have got to the level that, that you got to. And that's the reality of our game right now. And... What we have to try and do is find that that sweet spot where more clubs do what Tomo did with Kirky. Yet Kirky's a freak. We accept that. But there are more kids that can kind of come through and follow that route where you've got to take them at 14 and 15 because 
that's where the biggest gap starts to build. Because if you're 13, 14, 15, and you're playing in Minnesota right now, you're on the ice every single day with your school. You're then going to be playing regional. And on top of that, you're going to be playing competitive games. You're going to have an off-ice workout program. Yet, you're a kid who trains currently in from, you know, any of, the, any of the teams. You might get two hours. You might get three hours of training a week. Yeah. Most clubs are running one training night. Yeah, if that same kid, that same age kid was in Sweden, Minnesota, you know, anywhere in, in Canada, they're on the ice four or five times and they're playing competitive games. If you're a good defenseman playing on a good team, you might never actually play defense until you go and play for GB. Imagine that. Yeah. Seth, you, you've got to do. Seth, you brought up about Liam, Liam Kirk there, and I, you're 100% right. Tom, who did a great job, and he obviously went off to North America with Rob Wilson and so on and so forth, and everyone knows the trajectory that he's been on. <clears throat> amazing to see. But I remember when Tom took over in Sheffield, and he was talking about this Liam Kirk kid instantaneously as a future superstar. I remember speaking to Simsy. Simsy was like, Tom says this guy's going to go to the NHL. He's mm-hmm. going to the show. So he's already identified at whatever age that was. What age was, was he four or five years ago? Well, Andy, Fre- Andy French told me. Andy French told me at the friendship four years previous that that kid was going to get drafted. But everybody knew he was on that trajectory. Yeah, so he was a freak of nature. But you've been looking at what did Liam Kirk do? What what support did he have in place? How much ice time was he getting? What coaches did he have? Okay, everyone. Not everyone could be any future NHL players and all the rest. But that guy obviously had enough support, coaching support, uh, enough ice time, enough support and guidance throughout the early part of his career was identified and evidently was one of the best junior players coming up through the ranks. Surely, to my original point, we've got to look at the overall structure and and, and see what all these other different divisions are doing. I, I again talked to what was done in Manchester and we have I have no doubt the work that you guys did with Finner, Tomo uh, and all the rest Manchester Storm will reap the benefits of that in the next few years. But I look at the likes of Liam Kirk, and he was already identified as, as, a, as a high-end player. But what, what are the other divisions around the country doing? How much ice time are they affording? And I, I, just, don't see, I just don't see the demand coming, coming through. I mean, David mentioned there at the top of the show about you know, the, the recognition for GB. Totally unbelievable to us hockey fans. But did it really pierce the market in terms of the PR? How do we know? How can we quantify that? Are we quantifying that in global part? I always come back to the commercial side of things. What are we quantifying that with? Commercial partnerships? New TV deals? Has it sparked more bums on seats? I know we're just coming out of a pandemic. So how are we quantifying that? You've got to quantify it. You can't you just say-, say it was brilliant. Brilliant. And what, what, what does that mean? You know, I know you've 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 apologized sort of you know for coming back to the commercial aspect of it, but the commercial aspect of it is front and center, and that's exactly what Tony Smith was alluding to with regards to the crowds and sheds. You know, Oliver sheds, and then into Chris, but the. the you mentioned as well, and we're going to come into it, is wages and, and what we're bringing in. And, 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 you know, do you think that that has a key factor with regards to British players that maybe come in? We've seen this week, you know, Paul Swindlehurst, you know, he's left the Belfast Giants and, and talk is that he's actually left the game. Is that because maybe he's not feeling he's performing, he's not going to GB, or, or maybe he's not getting paid enough? I mean, the salaries aren't the owner's problem. Like, it's not, the salaries aren't low because, and I think that's like the elephant room. No one wants to speak about what the salaries are in the elite league. If I ask someone about this, hey, what do you think I made, my wages was, it would be a hundred thousand pounds off 
of what it actually means. And I'm not, this isn't the owner's problem, and it's not Tony Smith's problem. He's trying the best to do, to, to make the Steph Fields deal, not only stay afloat, probably make a little bit of money, but he's not sitting on a, a bank load of cash that he's making from the Steelers. You know, he's, they're flying that line pretty close. Um, and it's not his fault. It's because in the, in the UK, there's no massive TV deal. Sponsorship to get your name on a, a shirt isn't getting you a, a million pounds. It's getting, you know, 5,000 pounds. And it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out, um, you know, balances and stuff. So, you know, it's not the owner's fault. The salary's not the owner's fault. But when you take that back a level and you say, I read stuff like Tony's comments, like, oh, these, these young players come to us and they don't have the heart to put in the time and the effort. Well, if someone said to you, okay, I want you to put in a three-year apprentice for 200 pounds a week and work every day of the year, nine months a year, no more than one day off for 200 pounds a week. But after that three years, they're only for the next 15 years after that, you're only going to make 500 pounds a week by the way for 30 weeks. You'd be like, so for 15,000 pounds for the next 20 years, that's all I'm going to make? Why, why did you do that? Like, it's, it doesn't make sense. And that's a good example of Paul Swindlehurst. I, I haven't spoken to Paul. I don't know his situation. But why would he continue to play hockey for 12, 14,000 pounds a year? And at the end of that, have no, no pension, no uh, skills outside of hockey. You can't get another job. You know, the commitment is too much. Yeah, okay, you get afternoons off. But try going down to a local uh, builder's merchant, a builder contractor, David, or whatever, and say, oh, I want to get an apprenticeship. Well, when can you work? Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoons? Like, they're going to be like, see you later. So, yes, there is some sort of issue there. And it's not the owner's fault because they're doing the best they can. And this is only what they can pay. But then that's where it comes back to Seth's point. Yes, all these young kids have the goal to make it to the NHL. And that's great. That's what they want. But there's going to be, when those kids don't make it there, then they're in this weird sort of middle bracket where they're like 18, 19, maybe 20 years old. And they know the NHL is dead. And they're like, why would I commit the next X amount of years of my life for 200 pounds, 150? Yeah. a week when at the end result I'm only can pay 15 grand a year for 15 years and trust me I never made a high high-end elite league salary and uh, you know and I wasn't there's other players in the league that made a lot more than me and I was comfortable with that and I had a lot of family support throughout my career and I was very fortunate to see the light coming at the end of the tunnel and set up a business where I was very fortunate to have the support as I said where I knew the light was coming at the end and to have something to fall back on. But like, I mean, if I was in a different situation, I would never play that as long as I did. Imagine being 40 years old and making the, the numbers I just said and having no skills and no pension, nothing to fall back on. Like, and then you're saying players, these players are committed. Committed? What are you talking about? Who's committed yeah. to a job for 15 years making 12 grand? And I know yeah. people, it's tough times. It's a pandemic. And I'm not saying that these aren't good numbers. There's people that come to games that probably make a lot less than that. And they're investing their money. I'm not saying that. We're talking a professional sport, which you're comparing to, to second division uh, football, Ulster rugby, and the salaries are tuppence compared to that. You can't you can't compare apples and oranges. And the major difference, oh, the major difference to set uh, our sheds. It's is commercial. It's, you're gonna say it's commercial. It's it's sponsored. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. If if, so, if it's this is these guys five million. Then it would be, yeah, we'll put the salaries up. Why would you, you're not going to profit $5 million a year. Yeah, the salaries go up. But if you don't have, the, it's not the owner's fault. The owners don't have the money to pay the players. They can't say, oh, I've never owned 50 grand. You don't have the money. They'd be losing $2 million a year. 
so hold on, we've two guys here steeped in the media with yeah. regards to you know hockey, and they have been for quite a while. And Chris, I'll come to you. You know, how how far away are we from from having that? Because if we do need that sort of media coverage, <laughs> is that going to have? Well, obviously, Seth. Got it. We'll come to you in a minute, Seth. But but it's like if we do need that sort of media coverage to have the commercial backing to bring up the Brits and to be able to lean on them, how, we must be a million miles away from that. I mean, that's a it's a it's a massive question, isn't it? I mean, it, it's you know, it's the media coverage good? It's okay. Could it be better? Of course, it could. Do, do you know what I mean? But the, the the truth is, it's 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 hard. I, I always think that the ice hockey is stuck in a weird spot. It, it's not football. Do you know what I mean? So it's not our national sport, but it's it's not like a a niche sport that 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 you know, and and also. You know, and I think about this long and hard. I wonder how much hockey is affected. You know, you, you look at basketball. Well, everyone knows about basketball. Now, I see, see fans, you know, getting angry. You know, a wise netball had so much coverage. Well, I guarantee you, everybody who went to school knows girls and, and guys who, who played netball. But but when we went to school here in, in the UK, who knew people that played ice hockey? You know, hardly. I mean, I know you did, Seth. I'm sure some of you other boys did. You know, Sheds, you obviously did pretty well. Um, but, you know, when I was growing up, I knew no one who, who played ice hockey. And it was only as things developed and, you know, my passion for ice hockey developed that obviously, you know, that happened. So, you know, I know I'm not kind of answering the question, but I, I think ice hockey is a sport is stuck. It's not a major sport, but it's just not a sport you can you can pick up and play there's not an ice rink on every corner like there is in Canada uh, and it's its national sport so are we fighting a battle that we're never gonna win I, I don't know Seth and I will will tell you you know how hard how hard we push the sport not just in the BBC um, but to other areas um, you know what would it take to to break that mainstream maybe getting to the Olympics I mean you know and and that that could happen. I mean, I know we, I'm diverting off the subject, but you look at the final qualifiers about to take place in a, in a few weeks. You know, GB, the way they're playing and, and the way they're picking up results, you know, they could certainly give it a go a lot better than the course that, you know, number of years ago when they got there in Latvia in about 2012, 2013. So, you know, you know what would it take? You, you look how something like skateboarding, BMX, everybody's talking about it because of the Olympics. So would it take Great Britain getting to the Olympics to, to change that? I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, it would get thrust upon the spotlight. But it, it's, it's a real weird situation where, yeah, we're crying out. It's fantastic that we get our, our um, game on free sports. They're a wonderful partner for Great Britain and for the Elite League. But, but are people stumbling upon ice hockey like they would maybe on BBC Channel 4 or ITV? I'm not sure. No. You know, you might get the odds, you know, some sports fans. So it's well, a no, great I, deal. I, th- so, I, think it's clear, I think it's clear they wouldn't be. It's great. It's, 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 uh, with all due respect to the likes of free sports and premier sports and the great work the likes of Iron Murphy does, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small station quite far down the, down the list that nobody's going to really tune into unless they knew they, they saw something that they directly wanted to tune into. Seth? But the reality is that on BBC One in Sochi, the biggest game that I did there was USA Russia Saturday afternoon, three o'clock. Four and a half million people were watching it. Okay, that simple. To hit those kind of numbers with a GB team would be life-changing for the sport. But you've got to get there. And every time we've come to an Olympic qualifier, 
we've done our best to shoot ourselves in the foot. We've done our best as a nation to not turn up in a way that we perhaps should have. And we haven't, you know, put in the kind of performances that you need, you know. And that's from the sport on a, a bigger scale, looking at it and saying, actually, the thing that we need to prioritise here is getting to the Olympics. If you put me in charge of ice hockey in, in the UK right now, I would prioritise the women's team and I would use them to get to the Olympics with every penny, every moment I had. I would put the, the time and energy into that team because they're closer to the Olympics than the men's, despite the fact that men's team are, are doing so well. And it, it kind of doesn't matter whether it's the men's or the women's team that were to get there because that would change the view of ice hockey as it becoming you know, a real sport, if you like, across the mainstream. Because right now, the view is there is a bit of an import sport. It's like, you know, you could imagine it on Channel 5 on a on a Sunday night. It's a North American sport in the eyes of the, of the bigger public. So I think that's one thing. On the other point about getting a big a TV deal, forget it. That's not happening. It will not happen. In a million years, it will not happen. Look at the way, the direction of travel for TV right now. It's going away from big companies funding similar sports. You look at boxing as being, boxing is one of the best sports of monetizing. Boxing is going away. Eddie Hearn has gone to the zone. The zone is, yeah, however you want to, however you want to say it. D-A-Z-N, I don't know. But but that's where they've gone. And at that point, Mm -hmm. you know, they've, that's the way they're going to make the money. You know, I saw has a chance to do something similar but on a much more scale but that's how they get their money the question is then how do you get it to a much bigger market through investing in national games and you do have more bums on the seats these things are all cyclical well, I think I think you can sit down naively and say why don't the BBC why don't Sky Sports why don't ITV drop two million quid on us and by, by the way, if you do- oh, we seem to have lost Seth. Unfortunately, <laughs> I seem to his his, uh, his feed was was dropping out. Right. Hopefully, he comes come back and joins. But but on, I'm going to come back to sure. just to come just to come back on on a part of his point, Davey. It's it seemed to be a vicious cycle there. You know, the, the talk that Chris has and that, that that Seth had that it would be a case of, um, you know, if we could get that Olympic spot, if we could get that and get those numbers, then it would be a game changer for the elite league. But unless you develop the Brits and get the Brits playing at that high level, how exactly are you going to get to that spot in the, in the Olympics? So this is almost back. We've almost gone full circle from the start of the show and, and to use Tony Smith's phrase again, you know, it's that catch 22 because if you don't develop the British players, we're dependent on this golden generation that is getting older and some have already said Tate Weaver, all these guys that we've talked about, David Clark, they've all moved on and, and we're, like the, the 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 layer below the peacocks that died and all aren't getting any younger and and then the layer below them aren't good enough and that's why we're starting to fill up again with you know the the import British imports if you like um and we've we've already gone on the the team G B chat as you have said but if we don't the, my we we talk about this and, and coach will come the commercial stuff again uh, about the setup of the elite league being you know and we said the two points on the twenty eighth of September this year are just as valuable as two points. You can't develop young guys. And we've got a situation now with this roster size where if it's 14 and five and the Belfast Giants throw whistle in the nets and, and deck go backing up, 
we can only play three other Brits. We are in a position where we're going to have to sit British players. That's, we, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Because, yeah. um, we've, we've used this term plenty of times when we're right, Shades, the wrong passport. Coaches will generally, because they save their job, will generally play the 25-year-old college kid before they'll play the 25-year-old British kid. And that's just, that's just a passport thing. That's just something that's always going to be in this league. So while it's not a development league and while it's set up that the league is a be-all and end-all, where you have to play every night with high intensity... How can we bring in a 17-year-old kid from Belfast and give him even three minutes? We can't, we can't develop any local talent. They have to go elsewhere. And then when they come back at 25, well, is Adam Keefe going to take someone from U Sports that's American and has played his whole life, or is he going to play? We talked the other day, coach, about Jack Musel, who University of Maine, dropped down, came back to the UK, should have been a stud, and he's getting five minutes ice time in Glasgow. It's just... There's, there's, uh, I'd love a, I'd love a, uh, an elite league coach to talk about this, whether or not they rely on imports more than they would have faith in British players, because we just are not developing British players, and we're not going to get the Olympics, and we're not going to get that TV deal, and we'll be talking about this in five years, and as years. Is, there's going to be no British players to fill those five roster spots. Go for Chris. I mean, we've we've kind of discussed it between us here. So, if we're agreeing that clubs need commercial income, you know that that's you know a commercial deal that they need the sport to thrive. If we agree that that Great Britain getting to the Olympics is is the way, then then you know, and again, you know, Neil, coach, you you'll know way more than me. You have a you know, out of probably all of us, you'll have that knowledge about the elite league and its model. I look from outside; I played a very minor role. But but to me, if, if we're all agreeing, sitting here kind of vaguely in, in agreeing, why don't, and not just the Elite League, I go back to everyone, but, you know, why don't we work to, de- you know, to, we've got to develop those Brits to get there. So we're saying here that you can't, and, and at the moment, because of the structure, we can't. So I know it's an obvious thing to say, but we've got to find a way. And, and I sometimes think, and, and Neil, again, you might, tell me I'm wrong here but with the elite league it's short-termism there's never any long-termism and and that and I understand that you know Manchester have to really look to the short term to survive other clubs can maybe look you know and, and again maybe the business models in the league they're so vast between a Manchester and a and a Dundee to Nottingham or Sheffield so I understand that but if we're gonna get that recognition and it's an obvious thing to say so we've got to work together so We've got to find a way to work long term to to develop those Brits. And and again, I could go on and on about this decision is terrible. I mean, I just I still can't believe it. And I'll rant as, as long as, as ever about going down to five British players. But f- for us to get to this holy grail, we've got to find a way to develop them. And it's no good saying, well, well they're not good enough. Where are we going to come from? We've got to find them. Sorry. You, you, yeah, go on. So Neil, Neil first then, David. Okay, go ahead. It's the first time in 20 years you've ever called me Neil, Paddy. I'm being being professional. (laughs) Literally the first time in 20 years. I've never heard you saying that. Sorry. Just just to build off that. You're okay, I'm only joking. Um, (laughs) To to, to build off that. So if if we were to move down to, say, 10 10 imports, yeah? Yeah, that's probably too many, too few at the moment, but yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. 
I think at the minute there's as much, especially coming out of the pandemic as well, in terms of the parity in the league. So you know what will happen here. If we reduce the amount of imports and bring more Brits in, what's going to happen? The high, the, the Ben O'Connors previously, the Colin Shieldses, et cetera, et cetera, the high-end Brits are going to go to Sheffield, Nottingham, Cardiff and Belfast. And and then all of a sudden there's going to be a big gap with the dot a bigger gap. I think the league is, has been as close to parity as it has been in in the entire league league history, if the truth be told. But if you start reducing that down to say a ten, you've got to find those extra bits Brits and bring them in and all the rest. But I guarantee you those high ends will continue to force their way into Sheffield, Belfast, Cardiff, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So the the gap becomes significant then between those top four. It's already a We've got a reasonable parity, but it's still a gap. But it would be even more amplified if if we were to reduce. I think Sheds probably has 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 the nail in the head to an extent. If if we're you know looking at this from a GB and a commercial perspective, we do, you do it baby steps and you come down bit by bit and, and and test it. Seth's right. We've all been there, guys. We have seen whenever the elite league formed and all the rest, the crowds did diminish. They just did um, for numerous reasons. I wouldn't just blame the the, the heavy Brit influence uh, in that regard. There are multiple reasons behind that. But um, yeah, I just question again whether if we were to reduce the imports right here, right now, then that gap would just get even more significant. David, you wanted to come in again? It was pretty, Coach pretty much said what I was going to say, just slightly less eloquently. Um, <laughs> um, it, it, you know me, man. I said, but why say it in one sentence, mate, when you can say it in ten? You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I actually can, uh, like, I agree with Coach Moore there, but just to, like, flip it, like, if you look at any sport, and I'm not, just, I agree with you completely, you lower the import level, the price of Brits, but then I, I don't like when, um, certain owners and stuff say, oh, the Brits, then they're driving up the prices. How much do you think the top imports are getting paid in league? They're, so why, if you're a top Brit, why shouldn't you be getting paid the same as a top import? They're not getting paid. And then I threw some of those numbers at earlier, like, and this is kind of going away from your point, Neil, and I'll come back in a second, but like, they're going to go, oh, these Brits are asking for astronomical money. Well, if you're one of the top Brits in the league who's scoring as many points as the top import in the league, should you not be paid the same? Like, and they're also asking, like, hang on, you're not paying a guy 150 grand. You're talking an extra hundred pound a week, um, so that was my point as far as the salaries go. And back to this point, yeah, it makes a good point. And I, I just think like that's just life. Like the stronger, the stronger, stronger, and the weaker, weaker. You can't take away from the strong to give to the weak. Like that's just the way life is. Like the rich get richer, the poor get poor. You're trying to meet in the middle. So yes, I do agree. Ten is probably not. And you know, somewhere in that 12, 11, and you maybe gradually bring it down. But like the, the lower, you're just never going to see no offense to Dundee fans that listen to this. They're never going to have a strong enough team to probably win the league regular season. And that's just life. That's just the way it is. And I know um, that you have to try and find that middle where everyone can compete. But how do you do? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't have the answers. And I'm just responding to the comment that was up. But as, a, uh, as opposed to the Belfast versus Dundee, say Belfast beating Dundee 5 4 <laughs> at the SE, it could all of a sudden be Belfast 11, Dundee 4. Nobody wants to watch that. 
Um, when the Giants won the league my last year, uh, Dundee three, Giants one. Yeah, yeah. It, it, those games happen. It, it, you know, it does games. happen. I know. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. You're trying to break parity across the league. And right. if and if there if there was only so many players, there's always some players. But, but I agree with you 100. You just have to try and beat in the middle. But who knows? Like we're, every point everyone's made is a great point, and we it's easy for us to sit back. We have no skin in the game to a certain extent. Um, we're just kind of you know spitballing. But it is. It's, yeah. I wouldn't want to be just making decisions. That's for sure. I want to I want to welcome you. Seth back in. So sorry, just just a second. So I just want to welcome you back in. I just want to make a quick point as well on the idea of parity. But you know the idea of parity is a lovely idea. Fans don't want parity. No way do fans want parity. Fans want to see their their team destroy other teams and want to have the strongest team on the ice. You know, the idea of Dundee coming in and getting a win is is lovely with regards to the romance of the game. It's not really what what, what the Belfast Giants want. Belfast Giants do want to be winning eleven four every game. It may not be pretty, but it means that they're winning. Um, sorry, Seth, I interrupt you. The, the the conversation that was was obviously that you know where is the solution when. While you dropped, while you were out there, the idea that two points in September mean as much as two points in March. So, do we restructure the league to make the the postseason a more uh, a more um, the highest honor of of any of the of the trophies, or is it a case of finding that sweet spot with regards to the imports? In the end, they'll reduce imports again at some point. And for me, like, be bold, like I. You know, after everything I've said, it will seem that I feel very pro forcing imports. But actually, I think I would have gone the other way. Out of the, the lockdown here, you've just had that opportunity to see all of those Brits within the within the series that went off. Look, for one year, drop to eight. Ooh. Come back a different man. It's in the oh, second Seth Bennett. Where's Seth Bennett gone? No, Sorry, no, no, we had Tony Smith, <laughs> Nate Black, where, where Ryan Fennerty, we all have heart attacks, man. Part of time. <laughs> but, but, but the reality with, with all of this is that these guys, okay, the, the big thing was, if you're going four lines, and the big thing was, we're four-line hockey, four-line hockey. And the Elite League's got to make a decision, right? Does the Elite League seriously think it's going to be a Champions Hockey League league, right? If it does, then it's got to carry on down the four, you know, as many good players, American leaguers on the fourth line. If that's what its aspiration is, or the aspiration of the top four clubs is, to go challenge in the, in the Champions Hockey League, and that's where they believe they're going to make their money from. Right? Great. If they don't believe that, if they think that they're going to make their money from doing it in a different way, this is the perfect opportunity for you to come off the back of a pandemic and say, right, we're not going to fly in 14 imports. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to go three lines. Across the league, we're going, to, we're going to go with three lines and we're going to look around to cut the costs as much as we possibly can and see what happens for one year. Why not? Why not see for one year? Because then you, you're not going to lose that much money. Surely. Surely you're not going to lose that much money. David. You get back in the, I can't remember who it was said, whether it was Chris or, or, or Seth said earlier on, you get back into that, then, you know, these coaches who are only after saving their own skin to a certain extent, mm-hmm. well, we end up with two-line hockey and we still have the Brit players sitting on the bench. Yeah. You, you, you go to eight imports, those eight imports are playing 40 minutes a night each. You know, it's... it's... That's why I come back to always saying about one, the commercials, and, and this should be... it's. It's not the NHL. It's a million miles from the NHL. 
but it's our NHL. It should be ruthless. You should earn the right to play. And I understand um, the coach, Davey, is 100% right. The coaches will tend to favour the imports, whether rightly or wrongly. That said, see if you're good enough, you will get the ice time. People like Colin, I'll go back, Colin Shields, the Robert Dowds, Matthew Myers. Oh, hold on, I'll stop, I'll stop you there, though. I'll stop you, right? Colin Shields. Great man from got, 100 miles away, go on. It's not 100 miles, it's only 56, right? <laughs> but, but Colin Shields got the ice time after he'd been a fifth-round draft pick. With You know, he was, in effect, an import player, despite the fact that he grew up here. And you look across, David Clements, one of the standout defensemen, Within that junior, within that junior tournament, within that elite league tournament, right? David Clements, where did he grow up playing hockey? Some of the time in Coventry, then he spent a couple of years in North America. You know, pretty much across the board, all of those guys on that Great Britain team, outside of maybe Jonathan Phillips, have had some experience of playing hockey elsewhere in the world, um, generally at a much earlier age. And so that that's one of the challenges that, that you've got. What I would say to counter everything to do with all of this is you look at Denmark. Denmark right now, it's not a hockey country, yet it has NHL players that have won the Stanley Cup. It has a great TV deal. What did they do? They used to run a league that was very like the Elite League, that was very heavily import heavy. What did they do? They cleared out, they went down to eight imports, and they built again from the bottom. A few years ago, Great Britain had the opportunity to bring the guy in that masterminded all of that in the NHL employed Tony Hand. But Seth, am I am I wrong in saying that the likes of the Danish leagues are heavily subsidised by the local council slash governments, akin to what happens in France as well? So they're given that everything comes back to money. Am I wrong in saying that they were given that and are given that kind of commercial backing to to almost crowds? The elite league would pump way bigger crowds than they do in Denmark, eh? Yeah, much bigger arenas. Yeah, yeah. So. Am I wrong in saying that, that they get massive support? So their infrastructure right back to grassroots level, the whole way up the funnel, is supported financially? I think it's supported a lot more. Well, it's it's supported way more than the elite because that's not supported at all. But the the question I would throw back to you is, if you you had gone to eight imports as a league, if the elite league had gone to eight imports off the back of that series, what would you have lost? For one year, to have said to the fans, hey, we're coming off COVID. We don't know whether this season's going to go ahead. What we don't want to do is we don't want to fly 14 guys in from abroad that are going to just sit here because we might get locked down again in October or November. And that would kill us. So what we're going to do this year is we're going to get these guys that we're going to bring in, we're going to work with them, and we're going to see what else is out there. We've seen some of the guys playing in this other tournament, and we're going to try and increase it. We're going to do it for one year. Press the reset button and give it a go. If it doesn't work, it's one year. It's one year. And you can't tell me you're going to lose a million quid in a year or whatever. Teams won't do that if they work hard. Chet, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if there was a time to try it or time to do it, hmm. it's not. Chet? I'm not sure six maybe the number, but cut it down to 10. I mean, like, whatever the numbers. But I completely agree. Like, if there's a time to try something where people are going to understand, you know, people. We were talking about this. So I was talking about this with a client today, and I said, "You don't know what it's going to be like when the arena opens. Like, what the restrictions are going to be. Like, are people, you know, when they opened up restaurants after lockdown, people were like, well, oh, people won't want to go out and eat. Let me. Places are bugged. 
You know what I mean? So when the Giants say, oh, we've got a game uh, October 7th, like, people might be like, I don't care what's on the ice. Like, I just want to get out and go to something. But we also don't know. So, you know, if there's a time to try something, there's a time that people are going to be understanding. Like, I, I feel like no matter where there's been a reason, where teams finish this year, people are going to be more understanding than they were at any other time. So, I mean, Seth's point, that's something that I never even considered. And I think that's probably one of the, the best points to make is if this is time to try shit or, well, we'll try to see what happens. Like, there's a coach as a coach I've had in the last, uh, uh, we'll say 15 years. And uh, it's not out of peace, by the way. And we went to a game uh, in Edinburgh. And the might have been uh, already through the next, line, next round of the Challenge Cup. And he goes, ah, we're already through. So we're just going to try some shit this weekend. We're just going to put forwards on D. I think I was at that game. You know what I mean? Someone's well, had to pay for I, tickets. You know what I mean? That's all I'm going to say. I was like, you can't just do that, man. Like, people have traveled all the way over. But yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, if there's a time that people will be understanding and people will just want to see hockey, you know, and they're going to support local players. I mean, if if Rob Stewart's son is all of a sudden, like, playing in the fourth playing get a couple of shifts, like, people will be bummed about it. Yeah, I think. Uh, by, by the way, I think I think the one thing that we'll take out of this, though, Paddy, is everything that Colin Shields has said about finance in the elite league and what British players get paid. It leaves you with the ability to buy a wonderful set of teeth. <laughs> That's the one guarantee. I've not, I've not seen sheds since he's had them, and they look fantastic, Colin. They look fantastic. <laughs> you might have missed that part, though. For the last six years of my career, I worked about seven hours a week, so that's also the part you missed out there. This, this, I'm just going to leave you This is yeah. when you work two full-time jobs for the last five or six years of your career. So, yeah, and you get these, you know. But I appreciate it, Paul. <laughs> Davey, um, I, I was laughing there just briefly as well because uh, Shed's obviously brought up the the discussion about playing forwards on D and D and forwards. I just I just thought about you kicking the door of Newcastle Arena as Adam Cree was put in the nets against Newcastle. I, I, I think that door went abs- I think that door went absolutely flying as you as you head for the exit. But I didn't uh, see the last did he have the over or the under? Did he have the over? Is that what he had? Is he? Um, just, I'd, spent of, I'd spent quite a bit of money getting there that weekend, and oh, it was, that's it, it's almost a concession by Ed Courtney to say, right, well, we've mailed this game in now. And, and as that turned out, <laughs> but I didn't get to see the last 20 minutes. I wasn't allowed back in the arena. But um, Sheds just mentioned, you know, the likes of Max Stewart there. And, and I think you were gone, Sheds. You dropped off there when we were talking about the likes of young lads. There's just nowhere to develop them in this 14 import 5 Brit. You know, are we, are we going to drop another British player, which we would have to do to bring in a Max Stewart, a Kelby? You know, we, we literally have to tell Mark Garside you're not playing tonight because we're 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 playing an under seventeen it's, or oh, hold on, is Adam hold on Keith, there, or, or is or hang on set or are we going to drop an import? Someone will flown over house, card, medical, are we gonna tell them you're not playing tonight because we're playing a, a seventeen year old from Bally Bay? You know it's 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 tough. Go ahead. This is the reality the reality is these aren't you know minimum numbers of imports. These are maximum numbers. Yeah, but But if you've got a British player that you think is better, and there have been clubs that have done this through the years, you give them a shot at the start of the season. Give them a go. But we're talking about our, our 17-year-olds, our 19, our 20-year-olds. Who is going to, to give those? Because two points in September 
is the same as two points in March. Who's going to play that 17-year-old rather than the 25-year-old NCAA kid who's came in who you're flying over and playing £500 a week or whatever for? You're just not going to do it. Well, no, don't fly him in. I know, but you're going to be, if you're allowed 14 imports, you're going to, you're going to, most of the top four, as coaches said, the Cardiffs, Sheffield, not in Belfast, are going to play 14 imports any given night. Because winning, I'm not, because winning is more important than worrying whether Team GB get the Olympics. That's just the commercial side of it. It's more important to have 5,000 people in the arena going home happy than it is to say Mark Morrison got a shift tonight. Chris McGimsey got nets. We remember all those things that um, were brilliant at the time, but it's the, the game has changed. It's so much more important for the Tony Smiths to be filling their arena and trying to hang a banner at the end of the season than it is to find even the next Liam Kirk. What are Sheffield getting out of that, apart from, as Colin said earlier on, some great social media? We're going we're gonna to slowly wrap I mean, things up here, lads, because we've been talking for you also, you oh, also remember the Giants are a great organization, which all the teams are, because of success, too. You know, the Giants are just a development organization. We had no banners hanging. Then we might not even be having this conversation. So I, I agree with a lot of points, disagree with some, but you, you have to win, too. I mean, it's just that people aren't going to be happy to come losing. Even unless everyone's sort of, and then coach had a great point too. Like it's an even playing field. Like how do you even it out? But like, it, it, it's such, it's almost like it doesn't have an answer. It's almost like, you know, improving the level below the NHL and also lowering the import level slightly. So if players are somewhat good enough when they come up, they're getting a chance to play. It's a, uh, I, I don't have the answer. And, and, and oh, uh, he doesn't have the answer. So he doesn't have the option. Yeah. And, he, and he's dropped out. David, can I just throw one back at you now? Yeah, of course. One of the things, if Ice Hockey UK had a deal with the NHL, like the other leagues across Europe, there would be money coming back for all players that sign NHL contracts. That's the reality. If you go and you look at the top Swedish sides right now, their whole club is based around the amount of money that they get from the draft and players signing to the NHL. (laughs) Now, I'm not suggesting that the Elite League is going to be in a position where they can bank on, you know, millions of dollars every year coming back their way from players getting drafted. But there is a feature there. You know, you look at Liam Kirk. His rights were with Arizona, I think, for, for four years rather than the usual two because there wasn't a proper deal in place. Yeah. So there are, if you get players that you develop and they go on and they get drafted, money comes back into your federation. From that, or it comes back into your club from that. How that works, you know, comes down to each different federation. And so there is a reason. So if you go and develop a player, there is a reason for you to do it because financially, that's bigger than any TV deal that this league is ever going to get. So I'm going to wrap things up here, gents, <clears throat> and I appreciate you giving up an hour of your Thursday evening to come and join us to have a, what is, you know, obviously a discussion that has a lot of, a, a very emotive subject for people who are really incredibly invested in the sport in this country. I'm going to go around each of you and I'm going to give you a difficult question just to finish off, which, oh, Sheds has just dropped out, just as said, I was going to ask a difficult question. But the, I'm going to ask a difficult time. question. <laughs> um, obviously, coming into this forthcoming season, you know, Tony Smith has said, you know, 14 and 5 and whatever. But given the opportunity, you're on that board, or in Coach's case, you're back on that board, and you can put one one um 
what's the word, one thing to them with regards to improving the game and improving the Brit standard of the game? What is that one thing you're putting to the board? Sorry, Davy, I'm going to start with you. I'd have left it at 13 at 6. We've, we've just put 10 British players out of a job. There's 10 British players now probably won't have a place in this league because generally coaches that can employ 14, can afford to employ 14 imports, will employ 14 imports. And on any given night, some of those Brits are going to have to sit and watch a game. And of course, it's not, we're not developing. Do I want to see Belfast Giants win the league every year? Or do I want to see Team GB getting a gold medal at the Olympics? Well, I'm going to take the Giants. Sorry. But, you know, so the, so right the full circle, we've done the whole way around this thing. I think we all agree that it's probably not a development league and in our heart would love to see Team GB doing well. But parochially, we all want to see our own club probably doing a little bit better. Chris, what suggestion? Chris, what what suggestion would you give the elite league board? Um, I, I I think I, th- I mean I'm I'm really going to not sit on the fence, but but yeah, I mean I want to say stick to what we had last time out, but I I mean can we do that because because of COVID I, they've got to cut their costs? But I thought what we had you know pandemic before then was good, uh, you know fourteen imports Brits were getting the chance. Yeah, I would have gone. 13 and 6 or 12 and 7. You know, I, as I went, to, I made the point a bit earlier on, let's find a way. Let's, I feel, I feel like we could have had this discussion 10, 15 years ago, but, but let's find a way to, to work together to, to find a way to get these Brits in our lineup, get them playing, uh, and, and maybe just, just trust them a bit better. I think it goes back to me is, I'll give you one example. And Josh Tetlow from a Nottingham Panther view, David Clements as well, but I'll give you from someone I've seen. He's not had the chance to play for the Nottingham Panthers as, as Josh Tetlow in the in the pandemic year. He he played a little bit, but he was he was really limited ice time. He got more as it went on. Because of the elite series, eight imports, he played a lot. And yes, the standard wasn't like a 14 import league, but he played a lot. And that kid showed he could play. He then went to the World Championship, you know, and he, and he didn't just play a low-ranked nations. He excelled against some top-quality teams. And because of that, I think he'll now have a bigger role for Nottingham than he would have done if we hadn't found out how good he was because he got that ice time. So, yes, I know. And the, the two points in September, two points in April, spot on. Some elite league coaches have said that to me as well. I totally get that. So is it a restructure of the format? Like you mentioned earlier, playoffs are not as important. Are playoffs more important than the league? I don't know. But, you know, you saw, you know, Tetlow is a prime example of given a chance to thrive. He took his opportunity and he showed what he could do against the best in the world. That's not going to happen next season. Maybe they'll try, drop it and it'll be 13-12 in a few years' time. But how many people will we will we? like miss out on so yeah so i think the bottom line is, is to me and i'm gonna say it because i've i've got a massive british interest at heart you know it's something i hold very dear to me but i do understand the workings of the elite league but i would say give them that chance share what well, one suggestion would you give the elite league board oh just one um just the no. one i just think <laughs> i just think i Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> he drops out just as we okay, Seth. I'll come to you, and we'll come back to Colin. Uh, can I just be clear? Is this before or after I've had to plead for my job? 
Well, <laughs> your job it changes back. my mental state. <laughs> that, that was just every elite board meeting, wasn't it, Neil? Yeah. Um, <laughs> walking, <laughs> explain why they've got to pay their bill the next month so you can carry on doing your job, and then, then you get on with the rest of the meeting. Um, no, I think for me, like, look, we're coming out of pandemic, cut the costs, cut the numbers of imports, don't waste some money on flying people in, explain that ahead of time to the fans and say, hey, we're going to do something different this year because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what state we're going to be in as a sport. I would have gone 10. Okay, bigger picture, long term, you've got to be looking at a under-23 league second tier that has overage players. And that is the most important thing that we could do. You know, Shed still has something that he could potentially give back to the game. You know, David Longstaff had something he could give back to the game, and that's coaching through those younger players. Jonathan Phillips... At some point when his body breaks down, you know, he's a guy that can give back by players playing with them and, and what have you. That second tier of an under-23 league with overage players that become like imports becomes the most important thing as to how you get the players through, in my opinion. Sheds, back to you. You're back with us. Yeah, sorry. Just, as I said, just summer meeting in the middle, I think it's a good opportunity for the league to cut back on the imports. Limit costs. Cutting a couple of British fourth liners is not cutting costs. I mean, you know, the numbers I've talked about, and that's not making a difference. Um, but I guess I said, bridging that gap between the the 16 to 22 year olds and just making the elite league okay, you're not going to make it to NHL. But hey, if you play in the elite league for 15, 20 years, you're going to make it. Um, off shirts goes again on the Dodge. I think I'll come to you, coach. And um, if if Sheds comes back in, we'll give him his final say. But what what one suggestion? If you were back at that board meeting, would you give them? Oh, or maybe you'll uh, pass on to Semzi. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. We're already one hour ten minutes in, and you're asking me this question. It could be two hours and nine minutes by the time I finish. Let's keep it brief, coach. Yeah, I'll do my best. I, I think as someone that has sat on that board for a couple of years and people like Ellie and Seth as well who have been in and around it from a from a journalistic perspective and, and all the rest as well. Uh, and everybody on this uh, on this call has an acute awareness of one thing that I would say about in uh, on a positive front about everybody that sits around that boardroom table. You've got an eclectic mix of individuals and there's often almost like toe-to-toe arguments in many ways. But some of the best people, the most committed, passionate people about our sport, they care deeply about ice hockey. And they're as much fans. These owners are as much fans as they are uh, business owners. And looking at the bottom line, there are multiple things. For me, Like whenever I suppose it's whenever you step away and I know you cannot relate it to Premier League football or rugby or whatever, certainly on the football level. But whenever you step away, to Seth's point, almost the first couple of hours of every single meeting was, did everyone get their bills paid this month okay? Anyone, you know, anyone struggling? Now, I think over the last three, four years, that started to dissipate and teams have gotten themselves into a pretty good place because crowds have increased. Partnerships have increased. Keep coming back again to the commercial side of things and the revenue generators. More shirts are being sold. For me, I, I, I'm I'm fine on the on the on the imports. I personally like to see just a really good product on the ice. And all I can say is my most my most years of enjoyment watching hockey were ISL days 
and also over the course of the last three or four seasons, as the standard has continued to increase, that some of the British players have given me as much enjoyment as some of the Jeffrey Suezes of this world, uh, who I eulogise over. I think for me, the elite league, and this is going to be easier said than done, and I know how problematic this would be, but for me, it's got to have some form of independence in terms of a, a commissioner, uh, overall league commissioner, you got to have a, a partnerships or a commercial director in there, a marketing director. But it's all fine and well saying you need a marketing director. You've got to give him or her some spend to go to market, to market the elite league and, and all the rest. There has to be a, a full time. See people like Tony Smith and all of the guys that sit on that board. They pump. Cr- Tony Smith gets a lot of stick and I always end up standing up for Tony because they I do and I, I I do it based off what I have seen. I have there's a man that owns Rhino Sports, owns the Sheffield Steelers, and I know there's people will say there's a conflict, but the work that that guy has done for the elite league, unpaid hours is up, and the amount of fires that he's put out over the years has been for me incredible. I I, I backed. I think his comments were maybe slightly ill judged the other day, and um, you can maybe reference a two or three things over the years, but you need somebody in a full time capacity especially on the commercial side of things and driving the league. Of course, where do, how do you fund that, Paddy? You fund that by, the only way you're going to fund it is via the 10 teams. Mm-hmm. And the 10 teams are not going to stick in it, an extra budget line uh, to say we're paying for a commercial director and we're paying for a league commissioner to, to oversee and drive absolutely everything. The number one thing that the league league need to have, and I think somebody mentioned it on this call an hour ago, a proper strategic vision any good professional enterprise has a, and it sounds like Rafa Benitez back in the back in the day, the five-year plan, the five-year vision. Um, you have to have that. If we were to go to the Elite League now, I would partial tell you this and other people I've spoken to, one thing that frustrated the hell out of me during the pandemic, listening to, speaking to various people who were sitting on the board throughout the pandemic, it was almost like talking about, well, we drop the import by one or we'll keep it the same or we'll... Nobody was talking about coming out of the pandemic and how were we going to relaunch the Elite League. And I still, I'm sure, hopefully, there will be still a demand for bums and seats and all the rest. But I think a proper strategic vision um, is, is absolutely essential. I think the the ultimate is the money makes the world go round, and yeah. if the if the if the elite league is able to get that extra revenue, then maybe there could be investment in certain directions. But I think on that note, gentlemen, I just want to say a, a big vote of thanks to all of you to to Chris Ellis, Seth Bennett, Neil the Coach Russell, and Colin Shields. Of course, Mister McJimsey, as always, thank you. Um, very very enjoyable conversation. We hope that everybody listening enjoyed it as well. And uh, wherever you are, we hope you're enjoying your summer, and we'll catch you here next time on a view from the bridge. Sports Social Podcast Network.